morning we were thinking about running the race. We said from Hebrews 12 that to do this, we've got to be inspired by the great cloud of witnesses. We said also that um, we need to remove every weight or uh, barrier that might uh, be in the way of our racing. We also said especially we must, must remove the the sin of unbelief, and then we said we've got to continue to be looking unto Jesus. I'm going to add uh, just a simple part uh, to a part of this this evening. Going back to the third point there, or second point, I should say, the second point that to run the race, we must remove every weight, every weight. I want to, I want to add to that idea. Uh, this evening. One of the great races that draws a lot of attention every year is a bicycle race called the Tour de France. And it's a grueling race. It lasts something like 23 days, covers over 2,200 miles over in France, goes up a lot of not just hills, but actual uh, mountains. Uh, they get uh, a day or two of less riding, so it all comes out to being a little over 100 miles a day. Uh, most of the bikers that uh, finish the race end up with uh, quite a few injuries and, and rashes and um, even accidents. Um, it's a grueling race, and it is mindful of what Paul says here in Romans 12, 1. Uh, let us run with endurance, endurance, the race that is set before us. When, if this is Paul speaking here in Romans, or rather in Hebrews, if this is Paul speaking, then he certainly knew what he was talking about. He gave up everything uh, for the life of Christ and for the mission of Christ. Okay. It's reported that in this uh, bicycle race, the Tour de France, that in, with some of these mountains, that the, the bikers, before they would begin up some of these mountains, they would take their water bottle and they would pour every drop out of the water bottle and throw the water bottle away because they didn't want anything uh, at all weighting them down. They wanted to make that mountain in as fast a time as possible. Oftentimes the, the mountain uh, trails were, uh, the mountain roadways uh, spelled the difference between uh, which racer was going to be ahead and which uh, was not. And so similarly, let's think about uh, removing every weight that might deter, deter us from running the race. I want to mention five this evening, five. Okay. First of all, there is the weight of worry. The weight of worry. Please be reading in your Bible with me, but the weight of worry. Worry is one of those conditions that really uh, weighs us down, holds us back. In Matthew chapter 6, let's be turning over there. Matthew 6, Jesus addresses worry beginning in verse 25, looking down to about verse uh, 34. Okay. And so let's ourselves look at Jesus' words here and make about three or four points. First of all, 
Worry is prohibited. Worry is prohibited. Notice verse 25 of Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will, what you will put on. So it is prohibited. Prohibited. You recall Paul saying in, in Philippians 4, in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer. So worry is prohibit, prohibited. The second point here about worry is that it is pointless. It is pointless. Notice here in Matthew 6 and um, verse 27, Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, which of you, uh, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Okay, can you add anything to your life by being anxious? Uh, just like a, uh, sitting in a rocking chair, you can rock and rock for hours, and you're not going to get anywhere. And so with worry, worry is pointless. Worry is pointless. By being anxious, you don't add anything to your life. And then the third point about worry here is that worry is paganistic. It belongs to the world and not to the children of God. It is paganistic. Notice here in Matthew 6, 31, Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, see here, for the Gentiles, um, they're the ones that seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. There ought to be a big difference between us and the world. We are the children of God. We do not uh, become anxious about these things. So if we're, if we're worrisome, then we are paganistic. Okay. And then the final point here about worry is that it is prideful. It is prideful. Notice what Jesus says in verse uh, 34. He says, Therefore... Uh, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient to the day it is, it is for its own uh, trouble. There are a lot of people who think that they can bear their own burdens, that they can handle their burdens just fine. And they even think that they can handle today's burdens and tomorrow's burdens at the same time. And they can handle other people's burdens and other people's future burdens at the same time, but we are not able to do this. That's what Jesus is saying. Take one day at a time as we uh, seek to serve Him. We, unlike those of the world, we have prayer. We have prayer. 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Cast all your care upon God, upon the Lord, for He cares for you. Again, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, we were just singing about it a moment ago, the peace of God shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's interesting there that he says, the peace that passes understanding. There are several little phrases like that uh, in the New Testament that um, alerts us to just how blessed God is and how much He can bless our lives. Okay. For example, in Romans 11 and uh, 33, 
we learn that the ways of God are past finding out. They're, you, you can't find them out. You can know God's will from the Bible, but you can't know everything about God because it's beyond really our reasoning ability. Okay. Also, um, you might flip with me, this is just kind of a side note, but Ephesians chapter uh, 3 has a few of these um, great statements about God. Uh, <clears throat> Ephesians 3, 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, Ephesians 3, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we are able to ask or think according to the power that works in him, in us, um, to him be glory. So God is like that. God is like that. He can give us peace that passes understanding. He can give um, love that passes knowledge. Uh, he can answer our prayer beyond our ability to ask or think. This is just reminding us of how great God is. If we could ever come to an understanding or at least a part of understanding of just how remarkable God is, then we will worry less. We will worry much less uh, than we do. Okay, And so worry is a weight that we carry around. It will hinder us uh, in our running the race of God and walking before Him. There are those uh, used to be things that worry us or they might have been things that worry us or they just might be things that worry us but we can cast all our care upon our God. Alright, the second weight that can hold us back is the weight of human opinion. Let's be turning to Acts chapter 15. Acts 15. But the weight of human opinion This is the cause of so much heartache uh, in the world. It's the cause of so much confusion in religion, human opinion. Notice this incident uh, in the early church, Acts 15, beginning in verse 1. But some, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, is this a little incident? Is this a small matter? Read the next uh, verse. And, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Alright. These gentlemen come down from Judea were seeking to add something to the gospel. They wanted to add the requirement of circumcision after the custom of Moses to the pure gospel of Jesus. Human opinion. Human opinion. And Paul and Barnabas <clears throat> did not let this just pass by. There was no small dissension and there was much debate about this. Why? Because the law of Moses has been nailed to the cross. And so it is the system of Jesus uh, under which we serve now. And God means what he says. And that's why Paul and Barnabas were so adamant about this. Skip down in Acts 15 to verse 6. Let's pick it up. Now they're having a meeting 
in Jerusalem about this very matter. And it says, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been, again, notice this, much debate. Why? Why? Are they just argumentative? No. Someone is seeking to add to the truth. And when this happens, something must be said. Uh, something of, uh, from the Word of God must be brought out to, uh, in opposition to this. So notice verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, verse 10, notice Peter here. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Way to go, Peter. Way to go. He told them just as it ought to have been uh, told. But this is what happens. This is, this is how this occurs. The, the weight of human opinion is everywhere. And it causes confusion. It causes division. And it causes people to be hindered in their race and their walk uh, before God. And we still see it today. People adding to the simple truth of the gospel of our Lord. Whether it be mechanical instruments of music or uh, the such like. In 2020, brethren, things were confusing, but that's where the devil works the best. James 3, around verse 16, says, where there's confusion, there's every evil work. And the devil is in the midst of that. And we as a fellowship came close, if not outrightly, violating the very principles that Peter is expounding here and that Paul and Barnabas are disputing here. We can never let human opinion keep us from doing the will of God. Now, on the other side, what somebody thinks of you as a faithful Christian, let them carry that. You don't carry that. Don't carry that. A lot of people do. A lot of people worry so much about what somebody else thinks about them as a person, them as a, as a faithful Christian. Okay. And they carry that around. If the Lord is pleased with you, then that's all that matters. Okay. Remember Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10? He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay. I am what I am. 
What somebody else thinks about me is going to be their problem and not mine. We ought not be surprised that people are going to talk about us and try to uh, bring despair to us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, that people looked at him as a fool. They, he said, but he was glad to be a fool for the sake of Jesus. If, that, if that's what it took to help other people grow closer to Christ, then Paul was just fine uh, with that. Remember what Paul says in Galatians 1 in verse 10, if I seek to please others, I myself cannot be a servant of Christ. So the opinion of people can be a weight that can be a barrier for us. <clears throat> the third weight that we want to mention this evening is resentment, bitterness and resentment. This is a weight that needs to be put away, laid aside. Paul's words come to mind, Ephesians 4 and verse 31. Ephesians 4 31, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and anger be put away from, from you. Put, and all wrath, put it away from you. Be tenderhearted toward one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. We don't need to be resentful, holding grudges against this one or that. For an example of this, we'll turn together to Mark chapter 6. We re made reference to this a while back in our lesson, but this is a good illustration of it. Mark chapter 6, and this is going back to John the Baptist and how that um, he had told Herod that it was not lawful for him to have Herodias. Okay. Beginning in verse 17, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge, English Standard Version says here, verse 19. She had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not for she could not because Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. But Herodias held that grudge. So notice verse 21. An opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and other leading men of Galilee. And Herodias' daughter came in and danced and pleased Herod very much. The king said to the girl, isn't that sad there? This is a girl. These evil people leading this little innocent girl to do this kind of thing. Ask whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. And she he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give it to you, even up to half my kingdom. Boy, he was really carried away. And she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask? And then this was her mother's time to, to uh, fulfill her grudge, to uh, bear the fruit of her resentment. She's going to get John now, bring his head on a platter. 
And so this kind of thing can be a tremendous weight and barrier for us as we move forward. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that you not, do not fail to obtain the grace of God, lest there be any root of bitterness that springs up in you and defiles you. Bitterness can defile us. And just the root of it can grow. It can start out small and grow. Spring up, grow within us, and defile us. Okay. What's the cure to that according to Hebrews 12, 15? Okay, the grace of God. The whole gospel plan. The whole keeping our eyes on, on salvation. Keeping our eyes on what the Lord has us here uh, to do. Can keep us away uh, from that bitterness. Just a little side note here. Colossians 3, 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Why? Why? This would be an interesting class discussion. Why would he, why does he instruct this to husbands and not wives? But to husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter against them. What, what's the nature of the case here? Why is he, why is he instructing? Why is he warning uh, about this? And I'll take a guess at it. I believe, especially if you have a godly wife, she challenges you spiritually. She challenges you to be responsible more than you ever have. And instead of being bitter against her obvious good sense, rather listen to her and, and grow toward God. Learn to trust him. Learn more about him. Instead of being bitter against your wife for all her advice and, and warnings uh, to you, instead, be the person God wants you to be. Love your wife, love the Lord, and put bitterness away. The weight of worry, the weight of human opinion, and the weight of resentment. A fourth weight is the weight of distraction. Distraction. Going back to Hebrews 12, verse 2, when it says, looking unto Jesus, the idea there is that you're looking away from other people. You're looking away from other things. And your focus is now drawn to just one person. That is the Lord Jesus. That's the nature of that uh, admonition there. Away from other things, other people, toward one person, uh, Jesus. The woman at Jacob's well uh, did a wonderful job with this. She listened to Jesus. She, she said in John 4, 25, I know the Messiah comes. And the Lord said, I am he. And when she heard that, she went away to her village. And look what she said in John 4, 29. Come see a man. Come see a man who told me all that I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the one we've been looking for? Look at her focus. Look at her focus on Jesus Christ. Mary's another good example. 
As we read in Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42, Jesus come to the home of Martha and Mary there in Bethany. And Mary, Jesus says, Mary, is, Mary of course, is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's listening carefully to his teachings. And Jesus will comment there that Mary has chosen the good part, which will never be taken away from her. But Martha, 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 thou art, aren't you, thou art anxious and troubled about many things. The, the things that Martha was troubled about, even though, as we said this morning, the, what Martha was doing is not bad. In fact, it's, it's noble in some situations, but at, on that occasion, Mary was choosing the best part because the things that Martha was dealing with in the kitchen and making the preparations for the household, all that's going to be taken away, very temporary what Mary was listening to was things of eternity. And what she was learning would never be taken away from her at all. And so she was not distracted. The woman at Jacob's well was no longer distracted. See, distraction can be a tremendous weight uh, in life. In Matthew 16, 13, Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am. Who do men say that I am? He did not say, who do men say that you are? He didn't say, what are people saying about you, Peter? What are people saying about, about you, Thomas? What are people saying about you? You've been following me now for a while. What are they no, the focus is where it needs to be. Okay. When we learn about the identity of Jesus, we will learn not to be distracted. When Jesus gives the parable of the sower, he says, be careful, some things can distract you, such as the cares, pleasures, and, and riches of life, Luke 8, verse 14. But we want to be people that are focused. So distraction, distraction can be a tremendous weight. We worry sometimes about, as we reach out to people, whether or not we're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. But that worry goes away when we know for sure that our focus is on Jesus and his word. It's not about what they think about us. It's what they think about Jesus and his teachings. And so you've got the weight of worry and the weight of, of human opinion, the weight of resentment, and the weight of distraction. And then let's go back once again to the weight of sin, the weight of sin. We mentioned this morning Psalm 38 and verse 4, how David said that his iniquities was too much for him uh, to bear. Add to that Isaiah 1 and verse 4. Isaiah 1 and verse 4. You know, Isaiah will eventually say in verse 18 of Isaiah 1, Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. But look what Isaiah says about sin in Isaiah 1. Uh, verse 4, all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, laden, okay, burdened with iniquity. The iniquity is upon them. They are carrying it around. And without the Lord, uh, they're not going to be able to do anything about it. Burdens are interesting we are commanded in Galatians 6 and verse 2 to bear one another's burdens. Okay. 
In Galatians 6, verse 5, we are to bear our own burden. That is, we are to listen to God and respond to Him, take personal responsibility uh, for uh, our actions. But there's a burden that we cannot bear. And that, as we said this morning, is the burden the burden of sin. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. See, that's the burden that we've got to cast upon the Lord. Only He can remove that. This is the weight of sin. We cannot overemphasize this enough. We mentioned this morning, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But go back for a second to Hebrews 12, verse 2, where Jesus endured the cross. Now, Mount Calvary, my mind goes back to these bicyclers over in France, and they've got this mountain coming up before them, and they've got to find every way to get up that mountain the best and fastest way possible. And Jesus had even a greater mountain. He had to climb Mount Calvary, and he did it for us. He endured it. But it says there in Hebrews 12 too, that for the joy that was set before him, let me ask you, what is this joy? What, what is this joy that Jesus has in mind? He's headed to the cross, but there's something that's sustaining him, and it's joy. But what joy? What joy? Okay. <clears throat> it could be, and this would be scriptural, it could be that he is longing to be back home in heaven with the Father. There's, I mean, that could be the joy he's talking about. Right? When he prays in John 17, 1 through 5, he said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I have, I had before you before I came down to the earth. He could be thinking about the joy of just being back with the Father at the throne. But I think he's most likely talking about the joy that he knows he's going to bring to all of us or the joy he's going to bring to the world because of what he's about to do. Give himself for the sins of the world. This will, this will help people who so choose, who so, so choose to submit to him to be released from their sins to no longer have to bear that burden of sin. They will know the joy that um, awaits them because of that. I think this is the joy that Jesus is thinking about. He says in John 15 verse 11, he says to his disciples, I speak these things unto you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's what the Lord wants for you. When you pillow your head tonight, Think about that. My Lord wants me to have His joy in me and then for that joy to be full. To be full. Going back to one of those very expressive statements, 1 Peter 1 verse 8 says, you know, when we endure suffering, then that eventually leads us to have a joy that's inexpressible. Jesus wants us to have that joy that's inexpressible. He wants to, us to have his joy. Now remember this. As Jesus gives different stories in Luke 15, when someone 
rejoiced over the, the finding of his lost uh, sheep. And Jesus explains in the story when they found that lost sheep, that one sheep that had gone astray, that there was joy in the household and among the neighborhood. He said, even so, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents more than the 99 who did not go astray. He wants us to have that sort of mindset. That's how you get the joy of Jesus. But first... We must allow him to take this burden of sin away from us. Once we have that burden lifted, then we are now ready to help other people have that burden uh, lifted. That brings us the joy that we so desire. The weight of worry <laughs> needs to go. The weight of human opinion needs to go. The weight of resentment bitterness needs to go. The weight of distraction needs to go. And then the weight of sin can be gone if we will follow our Lord and listen to him carefully. Let's all now get ready to examine ourselves together here and let's think seriously about our own position before God, our own hearts before God. There might be something that we've read tonight. These are the words of our Lord. We have unspeakable privilege of being able to open up and read the very words of heaven. It might be that some of these words have, have spoken to you. You have understood them in a new way. And maybe you're ready to start anew with our Lord. Will you come this evening as we stand together as we sing?